0: Time for the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. From the Frickers Studio. On Classic is 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Rotor Router. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Writ. By M.J. Brown Construction Company, Premier Bank, Campus Polyis, by Financial Design Insurance Agency, Snyder Flooring Outlet, Ohio Automotive Supply, Seneca Millwork, Five Star Maintenance, and by the Rumpy Corporation. And
1: now, let's
0: go to Lance and Matt, coming to you live from the Bricker Studio for the NWO Orthopedics Sports Title.
2: Welcome on in to this edition of the NWO Orthopedics. Sports on here from the Frickers studios on ESPN, 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris here with Bart Wilson today, this Wednesday night. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night for this edition of the show. Matt out on vacation. Won't be back with anything until next week. So we got Bart Wilson joining me here from the Frickers studios. Bart, how you doing?
3: Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Just pretty good? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know.
2: <laughs> Thank you again for uh, for joining me. Always yeah, no uh, always exciting when we get to. Uh, usually we're stuck talking when the mics aren't on. Yes, so it's always nice to do so when the mics are actually on.
3: Yes, it is nice. It's very nice.
2: So for this edition of the show, nothing too super fancy. We'll talk with Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield along with the comeback. And awful announcing Buckeyes following a tough one to Michigan last weekend. They wait to see where their fate lies to see if they will be in the college football playoff or if they will be in a bowl game following everything that takes place championship weekend, uh, throughout the country. So we'll have, uh, I've talk with uh, Kevin here in just a little bit about that. And Bart and I are going to be previewing high school girls and high school boys basketball seasons. Girls have already gotten started a little bit over the last week or so boys We'll get things kicked off on Friday. We'll talk NFL and some other things as well for the show here today. We might not be at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials tonight. Get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day. Pick up from the carry window. Dine and get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app. Find them online at Frickers.com. And, of course, join us on Friday for our coverage of high school basketball on Classic Hits will have our coverage of high school boys basketball and SBC River non-conference matchup. At Calvert hit the road. They take on Ottawa Glandorf, Matt Brown, and I will have that one for you Friday. That'll be on Classic Hits 967. And then on WFOB, we'll have coverage of Faustoria Girls Basketball as they'll be at home playing host to new conference rival Oak Harbor. Bart Wilson. Tom Grine will have that one for you on Friday. So we'll talk a little bit briefly about some of these games, just because obviously you have uh, some history with uh, the OG program, and yes. it's uh, it's it's going to be a tough task for uh, Calvert heading in to OG to uh, start off their season against a team that has gone not once but twice consecutively to uh, two state title games in D three.
3: Yeah, it's it's going to be a tall task for Calvert to tonight uh for friday night yeah uh especially with colin white i was able uh to call uh all those games uh his sophomore year and he played like he was a senior uh so it's it it should be a fun game to be at uh at the supreme court as they call it at ottawa Glandorf. uh yeah this is a team that is known to be really good um coach tyson is going to have those guys ready uh it's not going to be an easy first game, especially being on the road. If you're Calvert, you are going to want to just hope and pray that Colin White doesn't get in a rhythm and put 30 points on you. But that's what he does.
2: And and you know as well as I do, that gym, it's not a super big gym. So when you get the amount of people that are going to be there between both sides, I think – I think Calvert was a lot of like 400 tickets, yeah, and they went through them. At, if they haven't already, they went through them pretty quickly. It, it it gets packed in there in a hurry. Oh
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, you feel like you're packed in there like sardines. Uh, it, it's very it's a very intimate experience when you're at the Supreme Court and all of the Ottawa Glendale faithful show up to. It's either it's football, basketball, whatever it is. They are always there in droves, and it will be a packed house, especially for their home opener. So, uh, yeah, expect no empty seats if you're going to that game on Friday. It's going to be a good one, and, yeah, Calvert, it's going to be an uphill battle, but uh, you never know. You never know. They could get one on OG, but uh, I'm probably leaning more OG on that one.
2: And then uh, the game you've been getting ready for, uh, Fostoria uh, taking on Oak Harbor. We'll talk uh, more in depth about them here in uh, yep. just a little bit. But what have been some of the kind of cursory things you've uh, seen from them and getting ready for this one?
3: Well, you know, Fostoria's girls basketball team last year had a really good season, twenty and three record last year. They were thirteen and one in the NBC they just really fell flat when they got to the tournament and they lost their first tournament game against St. Mary's. But the good thing is they have a lot of players coming back. Now there is going to be a new head coach uh, for this Fostoria squad and it should be uh, interesting to see how the new head coach, Derek Angelone, uh, kind of writes the ship for this Fostoria squad, especially having such a successful season last year. Um, And with Oak Harbor being their first game or actually not first game they play tonight, I believe. Uh, So this will, they'll have their first game tonight, but uh, on Friday playing Oak Harbor, them being new into the uh, conference, it should be a good game. Oak Harbor, not so great last year. Uh, So, this could be a, a good a good game for Fostoria, a nice uh, lay layup-type game for Fostoria to get another win uh, early in this season.
2: With that, we'll go ahead and step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Kevin Harris from on Midfield, the comeback and awful announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available
1: in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org
2: backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health
0: System, we're here
2: Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic Kits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFOB Lance Morse, Bart Wilson here with you until 7.30 tonight. The Ohio State Buckeyes unfortunately fall to Michigan over the weekend. They now wait to see where they will head for their next game. We're now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris, writer for me on midfield along with the comeback and awful announce again. Kevin, obviously, tough game for the buckeyes on Saturday. What were some of your uh, big takeaways from this one?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, when it comes down to especially on the offensive side of the ball, Ohio State just got outcoached. Ryan Day got outcoached by a um frankly a first-year interim head coach. Um Michigan won that game on all of the high leverage situations. Um, they won that game because they were aggressive. They had a unique game plan coming into the game. And uh, I mean, that was the difference. It it felt in a lot of ways like um, Ohio State was playing that game straight up with their base offense, their base defense, because they thought they were simply better than Michigan and they were going to, you know, um, out-execute Michigan. And Michigan came in with a unique game plan with unique wrinkles made necessary adjustments throughout the game that Ohio state didn't, which were a lot in a lot of cases, just very basic adjustments. Um, And that was the difference in the game. I mean, when you really look at it, Ohio state had an advantage in success rate um, EPA per play explosive rate and line yards per rush. And those are all like advanced metrics, but I don't think I have ever seen in my life a team lose when they're ahead in every one of those metrics like that. That's like doesn't make sense in my brain. Um, But the reality is that Michigan won on the plays that mattered. Ohio State might have outperformed Michigan on the field throughout most of the game, um, throughout all of the stats like the post game win expectancy would have had ohio state i didn't i have i don't have it pulled up but basically that evaluates like if you just looked at the stats who you think would win win the game i guarantee it was ohio state decidedly in that game um which just speaks to how poorly coached it was i mean things like um michigan went for it on fourth down four times and got it four times ohio state didn't even attempt a fourth down conversion um and then michigan's two biggest rushing or t- biggest passing play and biggest rushing play on the game were on two wrinkles. It was a halfback pass from Donovan Edwards was the longest passing play they had all day. And the longest rushing play they had all day was a QB keeper from their backup quarterback in a package that they hadn't shown all year. And so like when Michigan has things dialed up to kind of tilt the scales to their advantage and Ohio State kind of has no answer to that and nothing unique or different in their game plan. Like, and then goes ahead and turns the ball over um in a really key situation inside and give Michigan essentially a free touchdown by giving them starting field position inside the seven like you know that is what happens it it's not a matter of Ohio State not having the personnel not being a good or talented team or frankly not even executing plays um in between the hashes it's just those high leverage plays and Michigan essentially won the plays that mattered
2: And you talk about the out coach narrative, which is something you obviously just spoke to very well, but also another thing Ohio State fans come back with is Kyle McCord just not being the answer and you can't. I don't think you can definitively say the only reason they lost is because of Kyle McCord but you have the early pick and the late pick. He was probably really good aside from those bad throws, but mm-hmm. that's just one of the other things people are going to point to. So from, from your perspective, just what was your kind of overall view on what we did see from McCord?
1: I thought Kyle McCord was more fine than, um, than I think most people seem to think that he was. I, I, my, my problem with Kyle McCord is he is who he is. And so like when I'm saying that he's fine, I mean, there were some like egregious problems um, that you can't really see until you see, until you're watching like an all 22 clip where you can see the entire field where he's just like missing very easy reads, like without going too much into like scheme, there's situations where it's like a cover three and there's a perfectly designed route concept for it. And it's like, watch this safety. And if the safety goes this way, throw it to receiver a and if the safety goes this way throw it to receiver B and he just like perplexingly throws it to receiver C for some reason. Like there's weird things like that where it's like, are you not understanding the coverages? Are you not like understanding like what, what look you're getting here? I really like, I don't, I don't know what's up with that, but in terms of just like throwing the ball and like mechanically sound and getting the ball where he was getting, where he was looking for it to go essentially he was largely fine on the day, even the slant to Marv. Like, I think there had to have been miscommunication there because like, there's not a, there's no way that Marvin Harrison jr. Should have allowed that to be a pick. Like if you go back and rewatch that play, he's just kind of like jogging on his route. It to me was very clearly an RPO. And I think Marv thought that the ball had been handed off or was going to be handed off. And was just kind of like, Lacks on his route. But like, if he runs that route fully, that's at worst an incompletion that just drops to the ground. Like, I don't, I, I have no idea how that ended up being a, a pick for Will Johnson is a, is a wide receiver. You can't get like jumped on a corner like that or on a, on a slant route like that. That doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, He said after the game, like, I'm not sure what else I could have done in that situation. It's like, dude, watch the tape. You were like jogging on the route. So I, that that one i don't even know if i put all the way on kyle mccord obviously he shouldn't have thrown the ball obviously it was a pick um and that was probably his worst throw of the day um and then also the last pick like that's not on him either like that that he, donovan jackson got absolutely just completely thrown off of his uh um off basically put on his butt by a defensive tackle and um he was right in Kyle McCord's face. Kyle McCord was just trying to make a play. Honestly, if he's able to step into that throw, that's an easy first down to Marvin Harrison jr. So like both of those plays, it, it wasn't just Kyle McCord. And again, like I'm not trying to be too easy on Kyle McCord here, because as I just explained, like, I don't think he is like on an average play able to just like diagnose a coverage. And he's clearly a step back from, um, everything that Ohio state is, uh, um, had at quarterback since really Ryan day has been the, the head coach. I don't think that he is like, I don't, I don't think he's a guy that Ohio state wants leading them to a national title or can conceivably lead them to a national title. I, I like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend him too much, but I think those specific throws, the two interceptions might not have been as much on him as, um as people were expecting it to be. But again, they were, they were totally crushing. I think the bigger thing for me is like, the way that your team played in the way that your team on a down by down basis outperformed Michigan had more explosive plays, um, had more answers for Michigan's defense, frankly, than Michigan had for Ohio state's defense, Like that should that game shouldn't come down to an early pick or a, um, that, like an interception at the end of the game. Like there were so many more chances for Ohio state to, to put points on the board and to keep Michigan out of the end zone that like, you should have been able to overcome even a, a two two to nothing turnover advantage. Like there were just a lot of other things that went wrong for Ohio State.
2: This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB. Along with Kevin Harris, right at the midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. Let's look at the flip side on the defense. They kind of did what they. I think would have set out to do both this year and really kind of last year as well. They didn't allow really any of those big plays that's outside of, you know, kind of the the trickery type plays that we've already mentioned. But the big thing, especially in the latter parts of the second half was when they needed the stops, they were not able to get the stops. Obviously we talked about turnover battle. We had mentioned this wasn't a defense that had caused a lot of turnovers. And that certainly was again, the case on Saturday. So kind of, from the overall perspective, on the defensive side, they did again a lot of very good things, but at the same time, there still were some miscues as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think they didn't force a punt on like five of the last six drives, which is never something you want. Like you, you need you need if you're going to get off the field, like you, you got to get off the field. Um, they also didn't force a turnover, which isn't really new. This isn't ha- this hasn't been a team that has forced turnovers all year. But yeah, I think I think largely the defense was pretty good. I, I thought that the defense played strong, um, especially in the first half. but what you're saying is hundred percent correct, um, they they needed to get off the field. like they, they they allowed seven minutes to come off the clock on that last drive. Um, I mean, honestly, if if they play that correctly, Ohio State might have two possessions to try to get a touchdown instead of a one possession. And it was just very weird because there was no, like, sense of urgency either until really they needed to force Michigan into that field goal um, with, like, a minute left. There was no urgency. Um, They just kind of sat in their base defense and let Michigan get their three, four yards on them the entire, you know, the entire drive. And it was a a stark difference to how Ohio State played when they needed to get the ball back against Notre Dame um, earlier in the season. There were no blitzes. There was nothing you know no no extra pressure um no stacking the box for the most part or anything like that like they just were playing it straight up and um it maybe it's it's you know um fear that's lingering from last year when they kind of did try to sell out to stop the run and donovan edwards beat them deep for those two plays like maybe it is um but i mean yeah you're That's that's what it is. Like at the end of the day, you need your defense to get the other offense off the field. And they really struggled with that in the second half, even if they did play largely fine the rest of it. Um there were also there were individual players that I don't think played particularly well. Um, I think Tommy Eichenberg probably had the worst game of his career. And I I hesitate to even think that he was healthy. I mean, he missed the previous week's game. Right. Um, they said that he was healthy enough to go, but like that was not the same player that we've seen the past two years for Ohio state. Um, that, that, that's a guy that's like, I mean, he just won big 10 linebacker of the year. Like that's an all American caliber player that was, you know, just getting completely lost in coverage. Um, not lost in that he didn't know what to do, but lost in that like there were guys running right by him. Um, all of those tight end receptions across the middle were all on Tommy Eikenberg. Um, the linebacker play in general was just atrocious because I, I i just don't think he could move well um so i mean that that is that is frustrating in a sense because it's like if if he can't execute like i understand like that's that's tough he's maybe playing his last game um and uh last regular season game at least and you want him out on the field but like at the end of the day if he, if he can't perform he can't perform and you, there's a reason why you have other players so um, that was that was a tough performance. And then Sonny Styles, I thought, had a brutal performance too. Um, he was directly responsible for that gap fill. Uh, he was late on his gap, um, late on his assignment on that Blake Quorum long touchdown run. Um, you know, completely whiffed on the tackle because he tried to go inside leverage to compensate for it. Um, gave allowed Edwards to bounce it out or allowed Quorum to bounce it outside. Um, and uh, again, like he was playing out of position because Lathan Ransom was hurt too. So he shouldn't have even really been in that position, but he was, and he had several plays that he also had a play on. I believe it was a third down or a fourth down conversion, maybe, um, where Edwards went over the, or where Corum went over the top. And uh, he was supposed to be there, but was late on it again. So there were a couple, a couple instances where he was not, you know, where he needed to be. Schematically, there were a lot of weird things too, where it was like, um, Ohio State would be in like a, a cover four look, and they should have. There was a check that they should have switched to cloud coverage, which like hasn't existed in their playbook this year. Even though that's a really basic thing. Basically, cloud coverage is um, when you have a cover four look, and something happens that you trigger one side of the the cover four defense to turn into a cover two instead, which means one deep safety, one guy playing deep instead of two guys playing deep on one half of the field. And it's a very, very basic, basic check, very basic check. Like you would use it in like middle school or high school. Um, I'm sure any high school coach that you talk to would understand what a, um, what cloud is. Um, And Ohio state just like, didn't use it in a few, few really key situations. Um, And it allowed easy completions and very, very odd, just very odd defensive alignments. Um, I think I, 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 I really do think that this is still a, a product of um, maybe Jim Knowles trying to mesh his defense with things that guys like Larry Johnson and stuff want to do, because like, this was not a, this is not Jim Knowles, defense that he ran at Oklahoma state and he ran at Duke. Like, it's just not. Um, so on the defensive side of the ball, like there's, there's just weird things. And like, I, I know these are things that I haven't really talked about all year. And the reason is because Ohio state hasn't played a team that was able to expose it the way Michigan was all year and like that's that's the reality like Notre Dame's offense did not do that Penn State's offense did not and so that's credit to Michigan um, they watched film they realized things they could exploit and they did it but like it it is tough to be in year two especially in this scheme and you're still doing things that like are not fundamental to Jim Knowles's scheme and so like fans that are going to be really upset about Jim Knowles and like saying like oh he needs to go after this season it's like hold on. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that Jim Knowles is the problem here, because if he would have simply done what he has done at every stop along the way, um, Ohio State would have been fine. I think that it's, there's other issues at play there that Ohio State's going to need to remedy during the off season. But I don't think firing Jim Knowles is the answer.
2: So that does lead into the next uh, point I wanted to say is like we've said, Ryan Day critics certainly have been out in full force with it now being the third loss in a row to Michigan. With that being said, what changes do you see coming to the team? You know, in terms you you just mentioned it with the staffing on the defensive side, maybe that finally has a different conclusion, or maybe even some players or position groups even that they could transfer. I know we've talked kind of ad nauseum about the offensive line, but who, what are some of those? Changes that either are coming or you think could be coming, you know, over these next few weeks, even next few months or so.
1: I would almost guarantee that Ohio State gets multiple transfer offensive linemen. Um, I think that one will be committing in December as soon as he can. Um, And I think that they will probably get at least one, maybe two transfer linebackers that can kind of start immediately. I think those are the two position groups that um, they're going to need. And that's, what's going to happen. I I know a lot of people are going to be clamoring for a transfer quarterback. And kind of my stance on that is I I think Ryan day would pursue a transfer quarterback. If one that was decidedly better than Kyle McCord entered the transfer portal. And I think my biggest thing with that is I'm not sure there's going to be one. Right. Um. Like I, I, I think that the issue, like it's a valid complaint to say that Kyle McCord is limiting the Ohio State offense. But like, when you look around the country, it's not like Ohio State missed out on, you know, incredible guys. Like, it's not like there is a clear improvement um that Ohio State like missed out on. I guess the closest you could have is Quinn Ewers, right who, Which, who is was now at Texas, and he was he was at Ohio State, and that was just a weird circumstance. But yeah. like. Quinn Ewers probably should be the starting quarterback at Ohio state this year. And again, that's, that's not even a guy that's like lighting the world on fire right now. Like he, he is much improved this year. Last year, he was straight up atrocious and that's kind of the same thing with JJ McCarthy too. Ohio state could have had JJ McCarthy too. And in hindsight, that maybe could have been a better situation. I think he played a great game against Ohio state, made the throws that he needed to Um, more importantly, did not turn the ball over. Um, At least he gives you like that flexibility with his legs too. So yeah, Ohio state probably could have had JJ McCarthy, but I don't fault Ryan day at all for looking at their high school tape um, and saying, no, I want this guy instead because Kyle McCord for the past few years has been a much more polished, you know, passer Um, credit to JJ McCarthy. I think he's been much more improved this year. He was a mess last year, Um, but I like, I don't fault Ryan day at all for taking the guy that is a much more polished passer, for his offense than JJ McCarthy was. Um, The problem with Kyle McCord is he never really like developed past that. And I think everybody kind of assumed that he would, but like there just aren't a ton of options. Um, I know people are going to want like Cam Ward out of Washington state. I, I don't think he's better than Kyle McCord. Like, I'm sorry. I've, I've watched Washington state a lot this year. Um, And again, I'm not like a huge Kyle McCord fan. I'm just realistic about what Cam Ward is. Um, mm, I like Malik Murphy. From Texas. And I think he might be a guy that enters the portal. Um, I don't like Arch Manning. I don't think that's a good move. I think that's just Kyle McCord part two. Um, so like there the, it, it you just have to be I hope sure Texas that,
2: fans aren't listening.
1: <laughs> that yeah, that that's fine. Like I I I'm I'm very out on Arch Manning and I have been for a very long time. I think that he's a he's a fine quarterback, but he is not like the generational like five-star quarterback that they seem to think that he is. Um, but like yeah I I don't know it's it's the sort of thing where if you're going to replace your quarterback like that you better make sure that it is a like a slam dunk like it's got to be like a Justin Fields situation where it's like this guy is clearly awesome and he's clearly going to make a night and day difference in our offense if we bring him in and I'm just not sure there's a guy that exists like like that out there you know like outside of like Jaden Daniels deciding that he (laughs) wants to like come play stay another year and come play at Ohio state. Like it, it's just not going to happen. So um, that's why I tend to think that Kyle McCord's going to stick around again. I I do believe that Ryan day will make it like an open competition for um, any of the other three quarterbacks to kind of win that job, whether Devin Brown develops and like they roll with him next year or Lincoln Keenholz has a whole nother year. Aaron Nolan's enrolling in the spring. Um, maybe he comes in and starts as a true freshman. Like I I, I would not rule out them making a change at quarterback. I'm just not sure that the answer is to just like, oh, recruit one of these, um, one of these transfer quarterbacks. I I, I just don't think that there's going to be a significant enough difference for you to bring a guy in and, you know, roll the dice that he's kind of the guy. And that's just the reality of the state of quarterbacks right now. I think in, in past years, previous years, there've been plenty of like elite quarterbacks that you could bring in. I'm just not sure that that exists right now. So that's kind of the state that we're at there as far as personnel changes, I think, I think you alluded to that too. Um, The most clear and obvious one to me is um, that they should fire Parker Fleming, the, the special teams coordinator. There is like no return on investment (laughs) there. The dude makes a half a million dollars and Ohio state has one of the consistently worst special teams play in the entire country. Um, And like even more than that, they are hiring they have parker fleming on staff who doesn't really recruit either um he, like you'll you'll never find a kid that's like oh like the first, my my primary recruiter is parker fleming that like hasn't happened and he is taking up a defensive staff spot so ohio state only has uh four guys on the defensive side of the ball um jim Knowles, larry johnson perry leano and uh tim walton and like that's if you if you think about all of the coaches that's a seven to four split because Ryan day is essentially an offensive minded coach. And you've got six other coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Like you will never, you can't find a team that has won a national title with that sort of split in their um, defensive coaching. And so I think that lends itself to like issues, obviously on that side of the ball. Um, I, I think the other move that they should make, as I've alluded to is it's, I think it's time for Larry Johnson to go i think they need to at least work on phasing him out um he is you know been there have been retirement rumors swirling for like five to ten years and it is very clear that the way that he wants to coach the front is not necessarily the way that jim knowles wants his defense to look there's very clear conflict um between and you can even read between the lines of how they talk about the defense in the media how they talk about each other in the media like There is very clear conflict there and i don't think that's helping the defense i don't think that's helping it develop i don't think it's helping jim Knowles implement what he wants to implement on the defensive side of the ball um and larry johnson's a legend um and he's bringing in another really good recruiting class but there's guys that could come in and immediately replace him i mean chris partridge over at um pitt right now i i believe there's a report that he's looking into maybe moving to down to florida I know for a fact Chris Partridge would be interested in the Ohio state defensive line job. And I think that is probably currently the best defensive line coach in the country. So um, I, I did like, there's, there's definitely moves that you could make um, even, even a Randall Joyner who's down at Ole Miss right now. Like I know for a fact he would come up to Ohio state too. So um, I, I think that like at the end of the day, you need to have a plan in place. And the reality of the situation is You could fire Parker Fleming, hire one of those two guys, and your team would be better off than it was this year, essentially. Because Parker Fleming is a net negative to the special teams too. Like the special teams was bad. You're paying him $500,000 to coach a bad unit. Um, Bring Partridge in, and he coached special teams for five years over at, I don't remember his stop before Pitt. He has special teams background. Bring him in to coach special teams and serve as a like, stopgap while uh you wait for to see what happens for larry johnson like it all starts with like with that for me um parker fleming is a complete waste of a of a coaching spot um and and frankly like even if he was performing like well i just don't think that it's worth dedicating a entire staff spot to a special teams coach like look around the rest of the country i don't think i think lsu has a special teams coordinator and i think that's like it um, I think the vast majority of like the top 40 programs in the country don't employ a full-time special teams coach because it's it's a waste of a unit, you know, especially if they're not performing. So um, if there is any staff move, I would think that would be it. Um, and that doesn't account for guys that might leave and go take head coaching jobs elsewhere. I think um Justin Fry on the offensive line could be a guy that's uh um, you know, looking at some other options in terms of being a head coach um maybe not anybody else I mean Brian Hartline always gets thrown into those I would expect Brian Hartline to be back for at least one more season um but yeah outside of that I think the obvious the only obvious move is um fire Parker Fleming and consider what it would look like to move on from Larry Johnson or at least put a plan in place for that because one thing you don't want is for him to just simply retire and you to have nobody to replace him in the backdrop
2: this is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios talking with Kevin Harris riding for me at midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. And now now for this point at the Buck for the Buckeyes, it's uh same thing as it's been the last few years in the sit and wait. You have the top four, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State now back up at four, Oregon at five, Ohio State six, Texas right behind them at seven with Bama at eight. And obviously, it looks like a lot would have to happen around. Uh, this time for Ohio State to find themselves in the playoffs, whereas last year it was we, we we thought they were going to be in certainly after how championship weekend played out. And that still could be the case, but I think uh, I think they need a lot more chaos to happen this time around for uh, for them to find themselves in the playoff.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little easier than than you're thinking that it is. Um, basically, I'll just run down the games and how Ohio State needs them to go out. Yeah, um, obviously, Georgia needs to beat Alabama. Like that, that needs to happen Yep. because the problem is that if Alabama beats Georgia, you're not keeping out Alabama, you're
2: just, you're not not keeping out,
1: you're not keeping out an sec champion, Alabama that just beat Georgia to win the sec championship. And you're also not taking out Georgia for losing to Alabama in their one extra game after going undefeated in the regular season. So both of those teams would be in Ohio state would be out. So you need Georgia to beat Alabama to, you know, make this work now. I don't think that's really that much of a concern. I think Georgia will beat Alabama. So that's, that's kind of like, I just throw that aside for me. Um, Michigan, Iowa. I don't think that really matters. I think it helps Ohio state if Michigan decidedly beats Iowa because it makes Ohio state's loss to Michigan look a little stronger, but ultimately it doesn't really matter. Um, this is where some people debate Washington versus Oregon. I don't really think this matters that much because I don't think that the PAC 12 is going to get two teams in the playoff regardless. Right. So I think your options here the only way that i think both teams might make it is if this is a really close like one score maybe overtime sort of game where oregon comes out on top and you're looking at both results and you're like man like both of these teams deserve to get in if washington wins this game it's really simple um obviously oregon's out but if oregon wins this game decidedly i'm not sure that the committee is going to evaluate washington as a um sort of a one loss team that's not a conference champion against like i i think they'll probably put ohio state in over washington if it's a decide decisive victory so like that doesn't even have to go one specific way it's either just a a lopsided oregon win um or, or just a decisive oregon win or a um or a washington win would would do it just fine the the tricky ones and this one isn't even that tricky to me either florida state versus louisville Ohio state needs Louisville to win. And I don't think that's really out of the question. I think Louisville is a pretty good team. Obviously they just lost to Kentucky. I think that speaks more to how say, Kentucky played that n- game. Neither than team does looked Louisville. very good last week. Yeah. that And, and, and that's fair. Um, but Florida state is currently playing without Jordan Travis, who is their quarterback or like their star quarterback. Frankly, the reason why they've gotten there um, and Florida state probably should have lost to a, bad florida team like a, a bad bad florida team so i i tend to think that i i think the line is like favoring florida state by a lot um maybe even like six points or something like that i i don't remember what it was when i looked at it it was either three or six i understand these are completely different numbers <laughs> but um but uh they i know i understand florida state's favorite i don't think they should be based on the way louisville has played all season um i and, and Florida State without Jordan Travis I don't I don't think they're the same team at all. So I don't think that's a long shot by any means. I I'd, I'd venture to say that they probably have the wrong team favored here. Um, I think Louisville will beat Florida State. So the the biggest question for me now is um Oklahoma Oklahoma State versus Texas Now I think Texas is like a 14 point favorite in this game and I think before last weekend, I probably would have picked Oklahoma State in this game. Um, I I thought Oklahoma State was rolling. Um, They have an awesome running game. Um, They're a really well-rounded team. They have a fun defense. And I was not high on Texas by any means for the vast majority of this season. So last week kind of changed things because Oklahoma State looked real stinky against BYU. And um, Texas obviously went out and just annihilated Texas Tech. So that's not what you want to see if you're an Ohio state fan, but, um, I think on just like a, a total body of work, it's not, not unrealistic at all to see, um, you know, Oklahoma state coming in and pulling off the upset over Texas. Like it really wouldn't shock me. It's just based on the way the team's played in literally their last games. It, it doesn't, that game doesn't necessarily look good. But I think it's going to come down to just that game if you really break it down, because I think Georgia's is going to beat Alabama. I think Michigan's just going to handle um, they're just going to handle uh, Iowa fine. I think that the Pac-12 game doesn't really matter um, to, unless it's a very close like overtime game. Um, but again, if you want to get rid of that one and make it a very clean scenario, root for Washington to win no matter what. Um, cause that would take Oregon out completely. I do think that Louisville is going to beat Florida state because I don't think Florida state's a very good team without Jordan Travis, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So it really is going to come down to that big 12 championship game at noon to see whether Ohio state's going to make it
2: for, uh, for reference right now, Louisville is getting two and a half.
1: Okay. That's not as bad as I thought. I, I thought it's, that it was it's, around. It's, like it's,
2: six. I, I think it's been moving throughout these last couple of days because of People like you saying, okay, Florida State's not very good without Jordan Travis, so that line doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, and and it's it's really weird too because like Florida Florida State has played essentially like six quarters without Jordan Travis, and one of them was against an FCS team, yeah. and that doesn't really count. But like <laughs> they looked real bad against Florida, and I think there's a lot of people that are discounting that. It's like, well, Florida's an SEC team; that's a strong team. No, it's not. Like that is. <laughs> That is a bad team. And so I like I, I could not believe, and I understand that Louisville just lost to, to, to Kentucky, but like you know how I feel about Kentucky and Mark Stoops. Like that's I think that's a pretty good team. So yeah. um I I think is gonna win this game.
2: This is talking with uh, Kevin Harris, Ryder from me at midfield, along with the comeback awful announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. We kind of just talked all about those different championship games and what we are expecting we have already seen though a little a little coaching movement we see uh jonathan smith go from oregon state to michigan state he's actually leaving his alma mater they've already promoted their defensive coordinator trent bray we saw mike elko now named as the new head coach at uh, texas a&m so duke will be looking for the next coach but Lots of uh, additional changes going to be coming. We already saw Syracuse uh, hired uh, Fran Brown from Georgia. Bobby Petrino just never seems to quit. Arkansas, he's back there <laughs> as their offensive coordinator. That was that was straight up shocking to me seeing that. Uh, and then looks like uh, could be more changes. Uh, coming for uh, for Deion Sanders for his staff at Colorado looks like we could see more kind of overhaul changes there. What what are some of these uh, thoughts that you have on some of the moves we've already had, and then some of the ones we still may see over the next week or so?
1: Yeah, I think I think Jonathan Smith is a slam dunk as much as you can get over at Michigan State. Um, I I loved that Oregon State team this year. I loved what he's done with that program. And like, look, Michigan State fans do not want to hear this but they are not like a top tier program in the big ten um it, it was just like they're they're not a program that needs to be like messing with hiring guys like i don't know urban meyer like they wanted for their pipe dream or whatever like they need a guy that's going to come in and build a program like a foundational program kind of what he did at oregon state um and like it's it's a very com oregon state job the oregon state job is a very comparable position to what he was getting into what he's now getting into at Michigan state where it's like, you know, fertile recruiting ground, but you're recruiting against teams that like, you know, are going to get kids easier than you will with like Washington right there, Oregon right there. Um, and then all of the other PAC 12 schools there too, um, within the general vicinity on the West coast, like the, the players that you're recruiting um, you, you're kind of, you don't really have a leg up in the, in that recruiting battle that's kind of how he's going to be at Michigan state. Like he's going to be recruiting against Michigan, Ohio state. Um, But he's proven that he can make it work and he can get the kids that he needs and kind of build the program and build the culture that he wants to. I think that's a great hire for Michigan state. I think that's probably the best possible hire that could have got. Um Outside of that, like there's the, there's the Texas A&M thing where they now have Elko. It looked like they were going to hire Mark Stoops for a bit. yeah, um, And then it seemed like there was like a social media riot Uh and, that was a very weird situation. It was kind of like when Greg Shiano was heading to Tennessee and the Tennessee fans rioted too. Um, Yeah. I I think they got the wrong coach. I think Mark Stoops is a much better coach than Elko. Um, So we'll see there. Um, I, I, you know, happy for Mark Stoops though, because uh, I don't think I, I sure wouldn't want to go coach Texas A&M the way that that program kind of runs. I will say that Texas A&M was a lot smarter this time and they didn't give just a massive guaranteed money with like a gigantic buyout. They yeah. gave a, um, you know, a fair contract laced with plenty of incentives where yeah. if like you're actually successful, you get paid, which like, cool, that's the way you <laughs> should do it. Um, think they learned their lesson there, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, obviously I, I don't think we've seen the end of coaches getting fired or coaches moving around. Right. Um, we'll, we'll see that more, you know, throughout the season. Um, uh indiana indiana is the one where i think um if they settled on a head coach i don't think they have i don't think so no okay that's the one where justin fry is linked to the indiana job and could get a an interview there um uh john gruden got tossed around for the indiana job too which would be hilarious um (laughs) i i i would need that but um (laughs) i think we all need that That that'd be awesome. I'm I'm saying I was just saying like Michigan State's not a program that needs to go out and like do something insane, like hiring Jim Harbaugh or or sorry, not Jim Harbaugh, Urban Meyer or something like that.
0: Indiana needs to do that. (laughs) Yeah. They are.
1: Yeah, they are. Like on on some level, you just need to do something that puts you on the map. And like sincerely, I don't have strong takes one way or the other about Deion Sanders. Like I kind of just like don't think what he's doing at Colorado is sustainable. But it put Colorado on the map because yeah. I thought about Colorado football like negative <laughs> four time times ever. last year.
2: Yeah.
1: And this year, like I'm 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 an Ohio State guy talking about Ohio State football and I'm bringing up Colorado. So like mission accomplished there. Yeah. That's kind of the thing that would happen at Indiana if they hired John Gruden. Like it might not work, but I would talk about Indiana and like <laughs> that's just kind of part of the victory. So um, maybe they should hire John Gruden. I, I don't know. Go for it.
2: Oh, man. This has been meetup midfield rider uh, along with the comeback off announcing Kevin Harris. Kevin, thank you once again as well for taking the time to talk. We'll catch up next week and uh, see where Ohio State's going.
1: Sounds good. Talk to you later.
2: With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll preview area high school girls basketball teams here on the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Due to substantial growth at Morgan Advanced Materials, we're hiring and want you to join our team. If you're looking for a competitive starting wage, Morgan Advanced Materials has production operator positions starting at $19.76 an hour with a potential of up to $23.91 an hour. Join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Faustoria. Call us at 419-360-9751 or head to MorganAdvancedMaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour, with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days, with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Back we are here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN, 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Bart Wilson here with you tonight. Big thanks to Kevin Harris, Shamita Midfield, along with the comeback off announcing for joining us today on the show. If you missed any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to WFOB.com, click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons. As well, we might not be physically at the Frickers in Family, but stop in for their daily specials. Tonight, you get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carry-out window. Dine-in, you can get, also get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place in order to find them online at Frickers.com. And bar. now let's transition into our high school girls basketball preview for today. We'll start like we did off the top with the NBC Foss story. Looking to repeat as champs of the NBC, after going 20 and three last year, new head coach and Derek Angelone had a tough one last night against Van Buren. But you know they have a a good litany of talent that does come back from yeah. last season that they are going to be uh, looking to rely on as they get started this year.
3: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I I think they do have a really good talent coming back uh, as. Uh, Alicia Middlebrook, uh, Middlebrook, who's averaged last year 12.6 points per game with 4.3 rebounds per game with two and a half assists, three steals. Um, so it's great to have her back, as well as Lyric Johnson, Brooklyn Holman, Amijah Poole, and Karma Williams. Having those key players come back is a big up. Now, the the issue that uh, I would say could be a problem for this Fostoria squad is There's only 14 players on this team. Uh, So that means your rotations are going to be... I mean, you really have to work sparingly with your rotations, which could cause some issues uh, with gassing players potentially on the courts. And, you know, you just don't know what will happen in those types of situations unless you have a solid rotation. Um, But with Fostoria, with having the tough start against Van Buren... um, you know, it's the first game of the season. You kind of have to feel things out. You know, this is a squad that went 20-3 and three last year. So, even though they have that one loss, I mean, they could definitely bounce back easily. Um, but especially when you're working with a new head coach, that can also cause uh, a little bit of uh, some tension as well. Some of these players not as used to the schemes that they, they write up. Um. So, yeah, I mean, could there be some growing pains this year for this Fostoria squad? I would not be surprised. Um, It's just, can they get those growing pains out within the next couple of games? Or is this going to be something where you're going to see it all season? And, you know, what, Fost- where Fostoria had such an amazing season last year, could that kind of come to an end this year?
2: I think there's still going to be... Uh, one of the better teams at the very minimum in the NBC. Yeah. But 14 girls, I, I take it that's across the whole program. Yes. So that's 14 girls across your whole program, which means you're probably not even going to be able to play full JV games if that's Yeah. De- depending on how many of those players are, are varsity-level players. So that yeah. could impact just kind of the development in that regard, but it also then – does keep them a little fresher if you do have players that do need to play uh, multiple multiple games at JV and varsity. But so that that is some, certainly something they're going to have to look at. But one of uh, one of the big things for them is they've certainly increased and bumped up their non conference schedule yeah. this year. Whereas last year, not a, it was a bad non conference schedule, but there wasn't as many tough teams as they have this year. We already talked about the tough one to Van Buren last night, but, I mean, they play Arcadia Thursday, and then they'll have the game against Oak Harbor that you'll see uh, them will have on WFOB on Friday, but... Then, not too long after that, next week they play Liberty Benton on Monday. Yeah. Liberty Benton has been rolling already so far this season. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one. Yeah. They, you got Hopewell Loudon. They're looking pretty good in their own right as well. Yep. Colombian, they struggled in their matchup with uh, Liberty Benton, but Colombian was one of the teams that beat them last year, so that's going to be a tougher game. Toledo Christian was a regional team last year in division four. That's going to be a tough one. And Corey Rawson has been a team, you know, they're, they're going to be kind of feeling things out of their own as they'll be in the uh, new conference after leaving the BVC. But I mean, those are all teams that have either been very, very good in their own right in one way or Mm -hmm. another, or have, you know, have have had some success over these last couple of seasons.
3: Well, I think, I think the step that Fostoria has taken with their non-conference schedule for this year is probably a step in the right direction. Um, you always want to have a difficult non-conference schedule, and if you can do that and you can make it competitive, I think that's something that Fostoria did kind of struggle with last year, and I think that's why they fell short when it came to tournament play, especially when you're playing Liberty Benton in the next you know few days after Oak Harbor, um, and especially you're going up against uh, you're going up against a. Laura Gherkin, who's coming back, who committed to Bowling Green State University. Um, I think this is going to be good for Fostoria. You get in front of these teams that are very difficult opponents, and you kind of just test and see where your team is at. And so, yeah, I think these are going to be great, great games for Fostoria. They're going to learn a lot about themselves, and I think this will make them better going into conference games in the NBC, and this could potentially put them on top. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case.
2: It's it's going to be tough. I think I think it's going to get tougher before it yes. gets better. Yes. But I think when it's all said and done, I think that should be a good thing for yeah. this team because I think, like you said, that was kind of a little bit of the narrative last year was just that they didn't get as many of those Tough games, it then ultimately kind of does bite them a little bit when they get into the tournament. So I think this year they're going to try and make sure that that is not the case, even if it does mean the record's a little worse than it was last year.
3: I think with this team, they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to control their narrative. And if they want their narrative to start off where they're just getting, they're taking hits to the face constantly, but then they have their Rocky Balboa moment. Uh, they that that could be a possibility for this Fostoria squad this year,
2: and they're of course going to have some of those other tough tougher teams like we've mentioned: Oak Harbor, uh, Otsego, Rossford, Maumee, yep. Eastwood, some of those other teams. Because Woodmore no longer in the NBC yeah. because they're in the SBC now. Yep. So that's going to be something to uh, look at as we move forward. But now let's shift over to the BVC. No, uh, no secret. Liberty Benton, the top oh, team yeah. in the in the BVC until proven otherwise. But like we said, Van Buren, a very good team in their own right, made a district finals mm-hmm. game last year, and they that looked good in that win against Faustoria. But Riverdale, new head coach. Van Lue, always you know in the mix. Arcadia, same thing. Still a lot of talent to look at here in the BBC.
3: Yeah, I I would say so, um, for sure. Uh, but also, we do have a newcomer <laughs> in Elmwood. Elmwood's going to be joining into the BBC fun, and to get to see them come in, you know... <laughs> Speaking of Elmwood, um, I know that uh, them joining the BVC uh, was not uh, not the best when it came to football. But maybe they could change it up a little bit with <laughs> basketball. Um, but to see Elmwood get put into the picture, that should be that adds more competition. But like you said, Liberty Benton is just so good. They're so sound. They they do a really good job at just playing fundamental basketball. Um, That's just what LB is known for. They are kind of what you want to look at for the fundamentals. And, yeah, I mean, good luck to anybody that plays Liberty Benton. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, when when I think about BBC basketball, that's the first thing I think about is LB.
2: And you you have... You know, so there's obviously going to be some uh, changeover from the last year as well. Yep. But Macomb, they made their own district title game last yeah, year. They, they lost in, lost to Hopewell them, but they yep. were still able to get there. And, you know, Arcadia, they were a pretty good team a season ago as well. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Liberty Benton's going to win the BBC again. Oh, yeah. They, I, I don't even know what their record is that they have of their win streak in, in just BBC games. But yeah. you have other teams that are, you know, on their own playing field, so to speak, with Liberty Benson being, you know, D2, everybody else's D3, D4 by and large. Yep. So, I mean, Van Buren, I mean, they they lost a couple good players from last year, but sure looks like they've picked up where they left off. You have, you know, same same thing for McComb. They had a couple players they lost, but still trying to kind of pick up the pieces from last year. But I, Van Buren definitely, for me, clear Clearly, the second best team yeah. in the BVC, and could very well prove it uh, when all is said and done. Again, we've talked about it already a few times, but just the way that they beat Fostoria, yeah. that tells me okay, it doesn't matter that they had some turnover; they're they're going to be in the hunt once again.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Van Buren, uh, when it comes to when it comes to um, just Van Buren Black Knights basketball. Always have had really good basketball teams in the past. And when it comes to, especially ladies, Black Knights basketball, um, I mean, they never they never disappoint. And uh, I do agree. There's a lot of seniority when it comes to this team. There's a lot of experience that comes to this team. Uh, so definitely, I think they'll be contenders. Now, can they take on a Liberty Benton? Uh, I mean, we'll have to see. In that case, the answer is probably
2: probably not, not. but you never know. Uh,
3: I just think uh, when you're thinking about what the outcome will be for this season, is in my opinion, LB is going to come out on top every single time. It's just who's going to be in two, three, four, and five.
2: Because, I mean, you you look at some of the, you know, not all, not every team is going to be, you know, that stout throughout the BBC, but. You know, it hasn't been too long ago. Arcadia made some sta- some regional, and some yep. district finals. Like they've been a very good team. You know, Macomb always seems to be in that mix, even when they don't have their you know top uh, top tier talent as they've had. You know, some of these other years. Riverdale has a couple players. Uh, Bonham has been a first team player, yep. I believe, the last year or two. They uh, they have her back for uh, for another year. I mean, you're you're gonna have some tough tasks in in some of these uh, other BVC games.
3: Yeah, for sure. I I that's why the BVC is so great. The competitiveness is always going to be there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think also you got to take a look Arlington as well. Arlington has seven letter winners coming back. Uh, for their squad. If, if
2: Jimmy's listening, he's sad we waited this long until bringing up Arlington. Yeah.
3: Even though they had a tough season last year, 8-13 overall, 4-5 and 5 in BBC play. They finished 6. I mean, there could be a possibility an upside to Arlington uh, as well. So, I mean, there's definitely going to be some teams on the rise uh, throughout the BBC uh, for girls basketball that, who knows, they could make uh, some divots Uh, in the ground and maybe you never know liberty benton could slip up i mean you know not everything is robotic you know everything people can uh people are humans so uh i wouldn't be surprised i sure hope people are humans. i i would hope so too uh then it would be you know the whole terminator thing and i don't want to get into it (laughs) but but yeah, I mean, you never know. LB could slip up. They could have one of those games where they might have gone into it a little bit cocky, or they just went into it knowing, oh yeah, we got this thing in a sitch, and then all of a sudden, kind of doesn't turn it turn out the way they thought it was going to be. So, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's a lot a lot of good teams in the BVC for the girls side. Um, I think LB for sure is going to be at the forefront, but with Van Buren looming as well as, you know, Arcania. Uh, And then Arlington too. I wouldn't be surprised if you know, how Arlington will do.
2: I mean, on the Arlington side, and like we've very much alluded to, uh, Jimmy was my color guy during uh, the football season, so got to chat with him, you know, off the air and on the air. And for Arlington, it's, it's just going to be a matter of how healthy they can stay. Because yeah. they don't have that many players out this year, I think. Think it's around thirteen. I could be wrong, but I think their numbers are are definitely a little down from where they have been. So it, it's gonna really be a lot just about health for them because yeah. a couple of their players I know had uh, injuries last year that forced them to miss all or most of last season. So it, it's it's gonna be all about health for them because that's going to be paramount. Because if they're not healthy, then there's they're going to face an already uphill climb in that regard. So it's certainly Arlington is definitely a team that if they are able to keep things going in terms of health could certainly, uh, certainly pull If nothing else, maybe an upset or two.
3: Yeah, maybe Uh, I am looking at their roster right now. 10. They have 10
2: on the varsity, on
3: the varsity, on the varsity, varsity. but yeah, 10 on their varsity squad. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you never know, uh, yeah, that, that could hurt Arlington, especially. You you, you want to make sure that your players stay healthy, um, and that's going to be a tall task. I would I would say for Arlington, especially if you're playing 20 plus games for the season, things can happen. Uh, so yeah, that will be something Arlington will have to look out for. Uh, and taking a look, you know, Hopa Loudon, they also are going to have a very young team this year as well. Uh, there's a lot of young teams in the BVC this year. Uh, probably the oldest ones. Uh, there's a lot of older players on Arlington, especially in Liberty Benton, but a lot of younger teams this year. So uh, we could see some some uh, leaders be be uh, uh, start forming here throughout this season uh, uh, to see if they can continue to be leaders uh, throughout their rest of their careers. But uh, yeah, it should be
2: should be fun. This is the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBV Islands Morris Bart Wilson here talking girls basketball, their season recently got underway but still taking a look, you know, trying to preview some of these teams around the area and in the SBC River, it wound up being kind of Hopewell well loud and everyone else. Uh, Hopewell has also looked very dominant as well to start of the year, but you have Calvert, a team that seems to be very improved. Lakota was the biggest challenger to Hopewell last year. They had some success in volleyball this season. I know a lot of those players also part of their basketball team. O- Old Fort, you know, usually in the mix, although they're going to be without their top player in Macy Miller after re-injuring herself. Woodmore coming into the league. We'll see what they're able to do as they were a tough ta- task in the NBC last year. were kind of the number two team to fall story. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what they're able to do. Don't know how many of their players are coming back from last year. But, you know, in, in the SBC River, it very well could end up being Hopewell and everybody else again. But, I mean, it's it's going to be tough for some of those teams. Calvert with the new head coach with Aaron Sheets. Lakota trying to replace some of their key players from last year from a team that uh made it to a district finals as well in their own right against uh, Toledo Christian. So I mean you you have a you have a league that you might be might be a little more top heavy, but you certainly have some teams that uh are going to be very, very competitive.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Will Woodmore made an impact uh their first year in the SBC uh, especially against Hopewell Um I mean, I, I don't know who's coming back for Woodmore, uh, but going from the NBC to the SBC uh, could be a good thing for Woodmore. Maybe they'll have a little bit more advantage. I know neck and neck with Fostoria last year, uh, they came in second in the NBC, but they could have a, a really good chance of finishing on top uh, and, and maybe dethrone Hopewell Loudon.
2: I mean, it's you can you can kind of make everything in general in sports has to kind of come down to health. But that's going to be one of the big things for Hopewell, you know, just because I know Olivia Bishop was injured in volleyball, I don't remember if I don't I don't I can't remember if that is impacting her basketball this season or not. But that's going to be certainly a big thing. Yeah. If she is able to either play or not play. That's certainly going to be one of the things that could impact at the very least, kind of the ceiling of where this Hope Ball team could go.
3: Yeah, uh, if you lose a key player like that and Bishop, uh, that could definitely put a cog in the wheel uh, for this Hope Ball Loudon squad. And teams can take advantage of that, especially uh, when your game plan is drawn up for a specific player. Um, you know, and you don't have that specific player, that can really hurt a squad. Um, it's kind of like if we were talking about on, you know, Ottawa Glandorf and you take out Colin White, what is OG going to do? You know, uh, there really isn't another key factor player for that OG squad. Uh, if you don't have Colin White in the lineup. Um, so yeah, I mean, that could definitely happen, but like I said, I think Woodmore entering into the SBC, I think this is going to play in their hand fairly well. Um, and we'll see if they can take advantage of that. If they can't, then, you know, they'll have to just learn from this year and maybe improve for next year. But I think they have a pretty good chance uh, this year.
2: I am very excited to see what Calvert is able to do. Yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, a handful of their, their players have been uh, part of the volleyball success over oh, the last yeah. few years. You can say the same thing. Uh, for Lakota, for them getting to a district title this year as well. But uh, on the Calvert side, Alyssa Richie mm-hmm. is a very, very good basketball player. And she if if, depending on what Calvert's able to do to kind of surround her, she has the ability to take over games. And yeah. if she is able to take over games on a consistent basis, that's going to be kind of what makes or breaks things on the Calvert side.
3: Yeah, uh, you gotta love it when you have a, a player that that can do multiple, can wear multiple hats, um, and especially with her having the volleyball background as well. Um, I think, yeah, you gotta play into those into those uh, abilities that they have, and yeah, Calvert definitely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did try to go for a run uh, in the SBC. Just depending on you know. Are they, are they going to be all in this year? Uh, last year it was an okay season, but uh, you know it just depends on how they fare this year, especially uh, with a new team coming in with Woodmore. How they can play against them, uh, you just don't know. Especially with their non-conference, mm-hmm. uh, how strong is their non-conference schedule? But yeah, it, it just depends on what schemes you can come up with uh, for that specific player.
2: I mean, I know. I know Hopewell is going to be playing Fostoria. I know they're going to be playing Van Buren. Yep. So I know that they have a couple couple tough ones. Uh, well, that that's the thing with with the SBC is it's you know double round robin, so you're yep. playing everybody twice. Twice. So it's uh it's in a little more than a week. I believe I believe it's a week from Thursday. We have Hopewell Calvert, girls. So I'm I'm excited for that one to to yeah. see uh to see how that winds up.
3: Yeah, it's always great to have those games early in the season, too. Uh, Those can definitely be benchmarks uh, to just see where you're at. I mean, like I said, with Fostoria, you know, they're going to be playing Oak Harbor on Friday. That's going to be a great benchmark for them. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, with Hopewell, Loudon, and Calvert next week, that's going to be a great game. Is that at Calvert, or is that at Hopewell? I
2: think it's at Calvert.
3: So, that plays into the hand of Calvert. Yeah. Uh, It's just, you know, Hopewell is... Uh, is a different type of monster, I would say. Um, it's just, can't Calvert hang hang in there?
2: With that, we'll go ahead and step aside for a quick out When we come back, we'll switch gears, take a look at some area boys basketball teams here on the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios.
0: It's cash for cars at Warner Economy Corner in Findlay. Not much has changed with the shortage of good quality used cars, but Warner Economy Corner is looking to buy. At the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard, Warner Economy Corner is paying cash for cars. Bring your vehicle down to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and go home with cash in hand. Warner Economy Corner is buying cars and making deals. Open daily, Monday through Friday.
2: The Northwestern Water and Sewer District now has two watersheds in Fostoria to get pure water at a low price. Watersheds are located off of Plaza Drive on the north end of town, and our newest location near Fourth and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try Watershed Water. Just bring your own containers and fill up for a quarter a gallon. Try Watershed Water today. For all locations, go to nwwsd.org. Back we are here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits, 96.7 WBBI. Lance Morris, Bart Wilson here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks again to Kevin Harris, being at Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing for joining us on the show. If you missed any part of our show today or just want to hear it again, head over to WFOB.com, click on the podcast tab. You can find today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. And, of course, stop by the Frickers, in Finley for their daily specials tonight and get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day. At Frickers, you can pick up from the carryout window, dine in, get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app to see more and a place in order to place an order. Find them online, at Frickers.com. And Bart, now let's transition into the boys basketball side of things. But before we can uh, talk about any of the teams, we got to talk a little bit about this rule change that is going to be uh, something that will be different for the high school boys. Portion of the game. They made a change coming into this year. Don't exactly remember when they made the change, but they did decide on making this change. And the change is fouls, there will be no more one and one free throws. The bonus will always be two shots. So it's not going to be like bonus, then double bonus like it has been in years past. It always starts at two shots. Bonus begins at five team fouls per quarter and that will reset at the end of each quarter. So it won't be when you get to halves for the seven seven fouls, for the initial bonus to the one-and-one, and and then double bonus for two free throws. That is now a change that is going to be already in place for the boys for the start of this season, and it's uh, certainly going to be interesting to see how big of an impact that has because, you know, for the teams that either are bad free throw shooters or the teams that just get into foul trouble too quickly could, uh, could change how, uh, how some of these games, uh, play out down the road.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely is going to play into the hands of, it's kind of difficult because, you know, sometimes those types of fouls are ones that can make or break games. And when you're automatically going to just make it double bonus by the time you hit five fouls in a quarter, I mean, let's say you hit five fouls in a fourth quarter, you know, you're not going to go to the line to shoot one and one. You're going to the line to shoot two free throws. You know, is that going to make teams, you know, change up their game plan if they're going to be if they're down within like five points th- instead th- of fouling? I think
2: I think the goal. I think the goal is to try to make it to where there's just not as many fouls in general. And I think that's kind of going to be a double edged sword because yeah. does that then mean teams are then less aggressive defensively yeah. because of just trying to just stay out of foul trouble? And, you know, how much of that will turn into, okay, just because maybe because of that, we're going to be more like aggressive in like passing lanes on like off ball to try and get mm-hmm. those steals to where you can get them without fouling, without the potential for like a reach in foul. Yep. It's it's going to be interesting. You know, I'm I'm sure it'll take me uh me and you and everybody here yeah. just time to, you know, as broadcasters to make sure we know exactly how that will play out through the games. But it's it's certainly something that I think could be very good, but there is then the potential, you know, if you have teams that are just foul fa- I think it's gonna be the balance of if teams are just fouling versus refs maybe calling anything and everything. Yeah. I think there's going to be because of that a very uh kind of delicate balance.
3: Yeah, I that that's kind of where I'm stuck at right now is, you know, where is the balance? What are teams going to be able to do, especially when you're dealing with, oh, we can only get to five team fouls for a quarter, you know, hey, if we get to five team fouls, then if we foul again, that person's automatically going to go shoot two free throws. I mean, that kind of shifts the game into, um, you know, potentially another team's favor as well. I mean, if you're able to commit those fouls, if you're able to get the other team to commit a foul, I mean, that's going to bury a team, especially kind of hurt their chances of trying to come back in a game. I think this is going to have a. I think there are going to be some games that will come down to the wire. And if someone gets fouled and it was five fouls instead of, you know, getting the seven fouls for a one and one. I would not be surprised if there were a couple of fans or coaches that would be mad with that decision because it's like, well, actually, this should be a one-possession game instead of a two-possession game because we're now letting people shoot two free throws once we hit five fouls and a quarter instead of hitting seven fouls and a half. That could be a problem.
2: So that'll that'll certainly be something to... Uh, see how that rule uh, rule change plays out across uh, the various levels of high school basketball uh, throughout this season. That'll certainly be interesting to see. Because if it works, then just full speed ahead. And then if it doesn't, then well, go maybe go back to the drawing board.
3: I mean, they're doing what the what they do in the minor leagues with baseball is they try it out in the minor leagues and then they see if they can put it into the major leagues. But right now, it seems like uh, women's basketball in college is doing this. Um, so I guess they just want to test it out in high school basketball and see how it works. But I don't know. Uh, sometimes these can go really well. Sometimes they might not. I, if there is a game where this is the deciding factor for an outcome of a game, I could see people not be happy about this being the ultimate factor of who wins a game. And that could cause some controversy. I would not be surprised if that happened.
2: And now let's switch over to actual basketball rather than the rule changes is the NBC is where we will start again with Fostoria. And uh, by some some metrics, some uh, papers and presses yep. uh, have Fostoria actually as the favorite to win the NBC heading into this season. They were 13-11 and 11. last year, of course, do bring back a couple – very key players in Jordan Ferguson and Makai Johnson among yep. others, but I mean you you and I both know NBC certainly certainly not a slouch of a league by any stretch. It's going to be it's going to be still even with the talent Faustoria has, it's still going to be tough sledding in the head.
3: Yeah, I know. I, I kind of found it surprising. I mean, it has what, it's been fifteen years since has won an NBC title. Um I don't know. I just found it interesting when I saw that when I saw that article in the newspaper that they're saying that Fostoria are the favorites to win the NBC. Now, I they did have flashes here and there of really good basketball, especially with McCain Johnson and Jordan Ferguson, adding Christian Carter Stokes and J.C. on Tucker. They basically have their starting five back. The only person that's not coming back will be Gavin Miller because he sustained an ACL injury during football season. So they will not have Gavin Miller uh, for this year. Um, I don't know. I I've, They did make it to the what the district finals last year. Or was it the, the district semis?
2: I think it might have been sectional finals. The sectional finals. I think that's yeah. where they lost to St. Mary's. Yeah.
3: yeah. So, I mean, they were able to win their first game, and then they got to the sectional finals. And, I, and ran
2: into a player who's now at Ohio State. Yeah.
3: I mean, he's – yeah. Um. I I don't know. Uh, I just found it odd to see that in the newspaper. Now, don't get me wrong – There were definitely games last year that there were spurts of just pure genius when it came to this Redmond squad, but then there were just spurts of just not great basketball. And to see them be considered the top choice in the NBC, I'll have to see it to believe it um, because we haven't seen them play their first game yet, and we just don't know, Um, especially with their – how their non-conference schedules set up and just how the other schools in the NBC are going to be because they still got to play on They still got to play some really good basketball teams mm-hmm. in the area, especially Eastwood. I mean, you got to play Eastwood. Yeah. And Eastwood's always had great basketball teams. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't put all my eggs in the basket right now. Uh, I just found that very it kind of perked my ears up a little bit. I was just a little bit surprised when I saw that headline.
2: I think it's very possible they do win the league, but I I would just hesitate saying they're the favorites heading into the year is all.
3: Yeah. That's why like favorite that, that was probably the key word that really pointed kind of made me think, um, are we let's, let's not predict, predict the future. Just, just yet. We still got 20 plus games right. to go through yeah. to see who's going to be on top. Um but yeah, I mean clearly there are playmakers on this Fostoria squad, but to come off of a season where you're 13-11, you're 6 and 8 in the NBC, it, that doesn't give you a lot to kind of feed off of going into this season. So either something miraculous happened in the off season with prep Um, I don't know, especially with Makai Johnson and Jordan Ferguson playing football. They've been kind of just solely focused on playing football. Fortunately, you know, they had the month of November and they probably get back into basketball mode. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a toss up for me with Fostoria.
2: Now let's shift over to the BVC Liberty Benton able to uh, beat out Pandora Giboa for the league crown last year Arlington right there behind them as they made it to the district semis. Elmwood struggled a little bit last season with the the graduation they had kind of the kind of almost a precursor to what we saw on the yep. on the football field yep. last year. um but Van Buren also a very much improved team uh, McComb, Arcadia van Lu riverdale all all kind of in a little bit of a rebuilding stage, but you never you never really know exactly what you're going to get. Out of those teams, and and I'm not going to just say that Liberty Benson is, you know, I don't don't think they're head and shoulders above everybody else. No. I I think they're maybe like on their tippy toes at this point, like above everybody, but you have PG, especially PG Arlington, I think those are going to be their top contenders. Yes. I I think, I just want to see how Elmwood, what Elmwood has around Cade Lentz this year because yeah. the same similar similar to how I talk about Alyssa Richie on the Calvert side how she can win games for them on the yeah. basketball court Cade Lenz can do that for Elmwood it's just a matter of if he's got a, able to a of course stay healthy stay out of foul trouble but if they just have another player or two that can really kind of help offset that load Elmwood definitely again kind of at the very least i think at the very least they could play spoiler to some of these teams yeah but they certainly if things break right, yeah. they could be, you know, one of the kind of sneaky contenders for the title.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's could be a possibility. Now, with Liberty Benton being 19 and three overall last year, nine and zero in BVC, being BVC champs, they do lose a key player in Carson Doolittle, who averaged 14 points per game, a big, big component to that LB squad. You lose him, but they do retain Conaway, uh, Reed Thomas, and Jake Gerken, so, they do have those guys coming back. Now, losing a playmaker like Doolittle, that can make or break a team uh, uh, for sure. You know, sometimes, you know, someone can come up that, into that lead role. Uh, time will tell to see if any of these three guys can do something similar to what Doolittle was able to do. But yeah, I mean, Elmwood, you know, it didn't go so well on the football side, but maybe it goes really well on the basketball side for boys basketball. And they could be kind of one of those underdog, under the radar type of squads and do some damage in the BBC. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, especially, you know, newcomers. You just don't know when you have a, a new team coming into a conference And with Elmwood, I think anything could happen. And plus, they played in the NBC last year. They played some really good squads. Eastwood, for sure. Otsego, for sure. Uh, Even Fostoria. I mean, they played some really good teams. And uh, they just go from one really good conference for basketball play to another good conference for basketball play. And I do agree. I think there's a lot of squads that have a lot (coughs) of younger talent that are gonna go through a lot of uh learn a lot but it might not be pretty for them one of those squads macomb they're gonna have a new head coach in glenn meals um so he will be the new head coach for macomb he's been a part of the coaching staff uh for Mm. a while for a very long while um so uh So, yeah, having Glenn Meals there, that's going to be a kind of a new new thing for McComb. We'll see how that kind of pans out for them as well. And McComb, they're coming off of a really rough season last year, too. So there's a lot of teams that are coming off of really difficult seasons. It's just who's going to rise to the top, and LB is going to be at the top no matter what. But you never know. Like you said, Elmwood could be that contender that could compete with LB and maybe be the kind of spoil their celebration.
2: And one team that did not have a rough season last year but didn't win some of the games they wanted to is, of course, Arlington. Yeah. And, I mean, they had kind of the advantage heading into last year that the year prior they didn't have any seniors. Mm -hmm. So then this this past year that we just had, those guys, you know, had gotten that extra little uh, experience over the last year or two before that. But they're a team that, yeah, they, they lost a couple of guys. They lost one of the however many Vermillions there are.
3: Jake Vermillion, <laughs> they, they, yep.
2: They they, had, they lose Ryler Essinger, who was a yep. big part of that. But, you know, between Caden Russell, Jace Vermillion stepping up, they have other guys that are certainly capable and uh, are going to be uh, key cogs uh, for that team. I know we talked about him during football, but Aiden Cavani was a big oh, part yeah. of part of the football team I think he may end up having uh some sort of role uh, as a player on this Arlington basketball squad as well so it's uh it's when we talk about teams that are like you know well-oiled machines yes. it's exactly what Arlington is with uh with coach Ramillion who's who's been there a long time and had some very very good teams
3: yeah i i would never count out Arlington when it comes to basketball play they usually have really good solid basketball teams uh, in the past, so and especially they finished second in the BVC. Um, yeah, I I just wouldn't be surprised their only loss was the Liberty Benton. Uh, so
2: yeah, beat, beat PG on the buzzer beater.
3: Yeah, and beat PG on the buzzer beater. So for sure, Red Devils, I think they're going to be also a team. Could could possibly be a revenge year. You never know. Definitely revenge year against Liberty Benton, even though it's one team. But you know, they,
2: trust me. They don't like Liberty bats. No, no, they, they don't. Very much Arlington, do not like Liberty is, Liberty. no.
3: Arlington does not like LB at all. Um, and I've witnessed a couple of Arlington LB games, yeah. ranging from football and basketball. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, when those two teams play each other, it's uh, pure chaos. It's uh, it it will be electric, and we'll see them play each other December fifteenth. They will play so
2: the 15th. We'll, we'll have that one. Yeah. on Classic hits. Yeah. That's going to be, would not be missing. It's one. a
3: home game. <laughs> so, you know, Jimmy's going to be there. <laughs>
2: Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy will, pro- Jimmy will be with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, <Jimmy. laughs> he's going to be there.
3: So yeah, that's uh that's going to be a great game uh, for, for Arlington and Liberty Benton, especially having it this early on. Mm-hmm. It's always great to have those big time games early on. Uh, because, like I said, those are the games that kind of can identify a team, really make them flourish. Uh, or it could hurt them in a big way, and then they have to really rethink a lot of things and maybe change up their game plan. So, yeah, that's going to be a great game.
2: This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios, ESPN, 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits, 96.7, WBVI, Lance Morris, Bart Wilson, talking boys basketball as their season looks to get started. This weekend and we switch gears over to the SBC River and it was very much a case of, well, everybody beating everybody. That led to Calvert, Hopewell Loudon, and Old Fort all sharing the league title last season. Hopewell went on to have the best postseason of the three. They made it to the district title before they fell to Mohawk in a tough one. But along with those three, Danbury always seems to be a team that is right there in the mix for things. You can say the same thing. For New Regal as well. So, what are kind of your thoughts on what we could see in the SBC River? Because, you know, those that that three of Calvert, Hopewell, and Old Fort, they didn't lose a whole lot from any of those three teams. So, it's going to be interesting how uh, how all those teams come back this season.
3: I think that's I think the S that I think for the SBC, it's going to be the wild, wild west. I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be <laughs> who can draw fast, which enough?
2: which is which is a nice change of pace. Yes. Just because there was there was those few years where it was Calvert and everybody else. And those yeah. though there were some old Fort teams that were very good. There were some Hopewell teams that were very good. But that was just kind of the level Calvert was at for those couple years. And so it's 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 nice to have it be where it very well could be similar to last year where they all beat up on each other yeah. and wind up with a share of the title once again. But I mean, just all, all of those teams bring back a lot of key pieces. On the Calvert side, they bring back Caden Otterbacher yep. going into his senior year. Gavin Wagner is back yep. as well. He was a key part of their season, got Carter Wolf, Kevin Ardner as some key role guys to go with Harry Schultz as well. Of course, we've talked about him yeah. in all the different uh, Calvert sports. Hopewell Loudon, they bring back Evan Kreese, they bring back Donovan Elmore, they bring back Blake Barrier, who did have a little bit of the hand injury, the thumb injury yep. through football, but yep. he put put a cast on played through it, so I have no doubts he's going to be able to figure it out uh, in terms of the basketball side as well, so that's going to be kind of the big three on the, uh, on the Hopewell side of things, and then for old Fort, they bring back pretty much all their guys. They bring back Adelsberger, Ernsberger. They bring back Dubois. I mean, they're gonna have pretty much uh, all all the guys that were key cogs uh, in there in their wheel as well. Isaiah Perez, a very mm-hmm. kind of in my opinion, a little underrated even with what he was able to do for them as one of their leading scores. So it's uh, it, it's gonna be interesting to see how that all all shakes out because they're going to be playing I know Hopewell and Calvert play I think a week from Friday in their first game and then uh Hopewell and Old Fort and Calvert and Old Fort will all they'll all match up here you know obviously twice throughout the regular season with the round robin once again but it's I I can't really give you a I think this team's better than this team yeah. right now because that changed all throughout last season because yeah early on Early on, Old Fort beat Calvert pretty good the first time they played. Then they came back and played, and Calvert turned around and beat him. Yeah. And it was that same kind of thing. Uh, Hopewell, they beat Old Fort the first time. Then they played again, and Old Fort got them pretty good. I mean, And it was the same thing for Calvert and Hopewell when they played. Uh, I think Calvert won the first time, then Hopewell won the second time. It could have that flip-flopped, but I know that they split last year as well. So it's... Good good luck, good luck oh, yeah. figuring out who's going to come out of those. Because if you tell me Old Fort goes and beats everybody, or Hopewell or Cal, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just yeah. they're gonna have to beat up on each other by and large once again this season,
3: or or all their games split, and then it's just another yeah. tie, <laughs> right? Which I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Uh, it, it's always great to see uh, players that were. Such key parts the teams come back, and especially when you have three teams that were working so well together, um, and then you get them to play each other, you get those split games. Uh, it's always great to see that happen. And, yeah, I, 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 if I if I was a betting man, I wouldn't even want to bet on this because I, I know I would probably lose all my money and uh, live on the street. So, yeah, don't, uh, I would not put all my eggs in a basket for – Whatever SBC team you think is going to win that conference, um, I would, I would just uh, kind of <laughs> sit back, relax, and, and just enjoy the show.
2: I think uh, I think it's going to be similar to how it was last postseason. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how things shake out in the postseason because yeah. you're going to have a, it'll be at Liberty Benson again for for the districts, mm-hmm. but you're going to have you're going to have Hopewell, you're going to have Calvert, you're going to have Old Fort. Probably going to have Arlington yep. in there as well. I Mohawk is still going to be a team yeah. that you know could throw you know a cog in the wrench. They won the district last year. Yeah, even they did. They, they do replace you know AJ Hess, their all-time leading scorer. Yep. So they do have some uh, some changes on their side. But they won the district last year, so you you can't uh, you can't exactly look past them until we see uh, how they come out and are able to play this season. So I mean. It's it's once again going to be a uh, a very very loaded district uh, come uh, late February early March time.
3: Yeah, you got to love it when it's just you know just filled with really good teams uh especially you know when it comes to tournament time. So Because
2: the fact that Old Fort and Arlington played in a sectional final yeah, last year for how good both of yeah. those teams were. I mean, that was blasphemy. <laughs> Low key blasphemy, yeah, because then one team had to lose, and yeah? naturally the game because of how crazy it was ended up going to overtime. But oh, yeah, it was that was I was I was kind of just blown away that I'm like, this is a sectional final game. I, yeah. I wouldn't have been very surprised had that wound up being the district final oh, yeah. game because of how then when uh, Arlington and Hopewell played for how close it yeah. was, and then. Same thing for when Hopewell turned around and played Mohawk uh, yeah. for the district title later that week. It was, it was very, it was very much a lot of very good teams.
3: Yeah, I, that's why it's just it's it's so hard to pick somebody to win in that area, especially that region. Uh, yeah, I mean it's going to be once we get closer to postseason play. Just to see where these teams are. I know we're just now getting to this. We're at the beginning of the season and everything. But once we get to that postseason and see where everyone lines up, that's where it's just that's where the real, you know, it's just going to it's going to take people by storm and you just don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be like a mystery thriller, you know. You just, you just don't know what's going to happen.
2: Always back to movies. I know
3: it's, you know, I got a problem. (laughs) I have a problem. Sorry.
2: With that, we'll step aside for a quick time. I will come back, talk a little NFL, and wrap things up here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Hi, this is Don from the Classic Hits Morning Show, and I've just heard that not all roofs are created equal. Is that true?
1: That is true, Don. It's solely dependent on the people installing it. Hi, folks. This is Matt from MJ Brown Roofing Construction Company in Tiffin, Ohio. We're a family-owned company that's been in business since 1936. We're a full-service roofing contractor that have been working on both residential and commercial roofs. So no matter what type of roof you want, we have the expertise and the crews needed to install and maintain your roof for years to come. Call 419-447-5864 for a free, no-obligation inspection and quote today.
2: For over 100 years, ironworkers have been building America. Do you have what it takes to be an iron worker? Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be creative and solve problems? Do you like to be outdoors and don't mind getting dirty? With starting pay of $18 an hour and with medical and retirement benefits, there are ironworker jobs available in Northwest Ohio. To take your career to new heights, call the Ironworkers Local 55 Training Center at 419 382 3080. And build a better future. Back we are here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios on ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. WFOB Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris. Mark Wilson here with you as we're just about out of time. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from Meetup Midfield along with the comeback in Awful Announcing for joining us here on the show today. I want to briefly talk a little NFL action before we go as there was plenty of craziness Over the last week or so, Packers-Lions on Thanksgiving was a different kind of entertaining, even if it was just kind of a weird matchup. Cowboys, of course, beat up on the Commanders. Same thing for the Niners over the Seahawks. The Dolphins did the same to the Jets on Black Friday. That Jets offense, wow. The Falcons continue to be not very good, yet find ways to win as they beat the Saints and are now technically leading the NFC South. The Brown's offense certainly looked rough as they ended up going back to P.J. Walker after an injury to DTR in that game against the Broncos. Steelers, again, seems to be what they always do. They did just enough to beat the Bengals. Same kind of thing for the Titans over the Panthers, and they actually ended up firing uh, Frank Reich earlier this morning, so he's not going to even get a full season there in Carolina. The, of course, Colts end up uh, beating the Bucks in a close one in Indy. Ravens beat the Chargers the best game of course though of Sunday was that uh, Eagles game against the Bills that they were able to uh, to win in overtime so what were uh, what were some of your big takeaways Bart from what we saw uh, in the NFL uh, over the last week
3: well let's talk about the Browns Broncos game uh, I suppose I have a couple of things to say about the Browns Broncos game so it wasn't the players that lost the game okay it was Kevin Stefanski that lost that game.
2: You want to know why? I, I I do, and I think you're going to tell me.
3: Okay, so when Dorian Thompson Robinson went out of the game, yeah, with the concussion, bleeding from his
2: mouth, yeah, that was
3: that was not good. I was really concerned. Yeah, but you put in PJ Walker. Yep, and then you think, hey, you know what, PJ Walker, third string quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. You know what we should do? XFL legend. So. XFL legend. Yes. You know what we should do? We should run a reverse uh, for his first snap of the game, right? In our own territory on the 20-yard line. That should be smart, right? Huh. We run the play. Pure, strong, fumbles the ball. Guess who recovers? The Broncos. That play, let alone, is what lost the game for the Cleveland Browns that happened in the third quarter by the way Kevin Stefanski's play calling was complete and utter garbage I mean I can't, he
2: Tell us he, how you really
3: feel. I'm so I'm sorry but he should not be calling plays for the offense at all I mean someone else needs to be making those play calls especially when you put in a new quarterback like PJ Walker I get that PJ Walker had started some of the games with Deshaun Watson out but You can't just throw them into the game and just say, hey, let's do a reverse on your first... I mean, they did. Yeah, I get it, (laughs) but you just can't do that. And I don't know what Kevin Stefanski was thinking. You're a team that's 7-3. and You were on the verge of going on another scoring drive, especially with Dorian Thompson Robinson, and then you kind of beef it with this reverse. And then after that, the game just falls completely flat, you, you guys can't get in a rhythm. I mean, you got guys dropping footballs. Amari Cooper was dropping balls left and right, as well as Elijah Moore and Joku couldn't catch anything. Ford couldn't. Like we didn't even utilize the run game, and the Broncos had the worst run defense in the NFL. Why aren't we giving the ball off to Ford? Why aren't we giving the ball off to Kareem Hunt? We're throwing the ball. We're doing reverses. What are we doing? You know, this isn't the, the movie, The Little Giants. This is professional football. And I don't think Kevin Stefanski understands that. <laughs> because some of the things that he decided to go with on Sunday were just complete head scratchers.
2: And here's Kevin Stefanski walking into the oh, Frickers studio. Yeah.
3: I'd be like, all right, hold my earrings. <laughs> but you don't have earrings. I know. I don't know. <laughs> Where did that come from? (laughs) Because if and if women get in a fight, they take their earrings off.
2: But you have to have earrings for that to work.
3: I know. I don't have earrings. But um, but yeah, I mean, I just thought it was ludicrous. Oh, no, Ludacris was, no, was at the Falcons game. The only good thing that came out of that game was Jameis <laughs> Winston ramping to Derek Carr on the sideline. That was the only good thing that came from that game. Other than that, Desmond Ritter is a complete bust for the Falcons. Um, sorry, Falcons fans, if you are listening. But, uh, yeah, for the Browns game, for the Broncos game, I don't know what they were thinking. They were competing with the Broncos till the very end. Now, the one thing that, that kind of that the Broncos did good was to stop miles Garrett. Uh, he didn't get into the backfield as much as he wanted to. Also a thing that did hurt the Browns was Greg Newsom was by himself. Basically in the backfield, he didn't have Denzel Ward out there. Anthony Walker was also on the sideline uh, injured too. So there were some key players on defense that weren't on the field uh, to help out the Browns. Uh, now, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he has been diagnosed with a concussion, so he more than likely will not be playing this coming Sunday. So guess who is probably going to play, and it's not the person that you're thinking. It's
2: not, you know, Is it going to be Flacco? I think
3: it's going to be Joe Flacco. It's going to be Flacco, which, by the way, is Kevin Stefanski's doppelganger. <laughs>
2: That's true. They
3: look exactly the same, but... Yeah, I think Joe Flacco— Maybe
2: maybe Flacco was the one who called the reverse.
3: Maybe, maybe he might have been. I mean, he was at the game. He was there because they signed him, you know, the day prior to the practice squad. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Flacco was going to be the starter instead of P.J. Walker. Joe Flacco being a Super Bowl quarterback, he he has the experience. He could go back in. Now, he did say—
2: we're we're at that level where we're relying on Joe Flacco. I
3: guess so, I guess I guess so. But
2: this is 2023. I know. This, we're still talking
3: about Joe Flacco. I know. It's crazy. Uh, Joe Flacco's career ended when he won the Super Bowl. Uh, literally. Um,
2: no, his career got started because then he got paid after winning well, the Super did. Bowl. He did.
3: He did. Yes, he did. And then he kind of just kind of fell flat. But, uh, yeah, with, I think Joe Flacco is going to be starting on that Sunday. Um, and then, yeah, DTR will probably be back in the next couple of weeks. But when you take a look at the games, they're going to be at Los Angeles for the Rams. Then they're home against the Jaguars, home against the Bears, at the Texans, home against the Jets. And then they finish off at the Bengals. Those are winnable games, I would say, except for the Jaguars and the Texans. Los Angeles Rams could be a definite win. Bears for sure would be a win. Jets, come on. Seriously, <laughs> you got a guy Boyle throwing the ball for a Hail Mary at halftime, Javon Holland picks it off and goes for a 99-yard touchdown before halftime on an interception. Come on.
2: Yeah. That's what they wanted,
3: right? Oh yeah, totally. You know. Um so the Browns do have some really good chances. They could still be a wild card team. Um, it's just they're in control of their own destiny right now. Um, but, yeah, with how they played against the Broncos and the play calling, it, it's atrocious. It's atrocious, and it should make people sick to their stomach. Seriously.
2: I, I think Matt might need to take some notes on coming out this strong against the Browns. <laughs> I'm just
3: saying it's just the, the, the pure ignorance with that play call when you lose your starter and you bring in the backup and you're like, this should be a good play to do. Let's do some trickery. Like we're playing NFL street EA sports style. It's like, no, this isn't, this isn't, you know, NFL street with Ricky Williams on the cover. This is a real life football game that you're playing in Denver against the Broncos. You know, you gotta, you gotta think straight, man. And some of the play calls, it's just, Man, what are are we doing? What are we doing? We're not playing football. Do, Do you feel better? No. I don't. I don't feel better.
2: It's just. So usually when Matt goes on those long rants, he then feels better at the end.
3: No, I don't. You don't. No. I do not feel better about the situation. It's just. Out of all the games, yes, the Eagles-Bills game was crazy game. You know, what were some of the other ones? You know, the Lions laying the goose egg on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, those games, yeah. But the game that really stood out to me was Browns and Broncos. I mean, and the Broncos are now on a five-game win streak.
2: Yeah. Who, who saw that coming? No one
3: saw that coming. <laughs> no one. No one saw that coming, especially with Russell Wilson's whole let's ride situation
2: let's ride broncos
3: country let's ride because i was like yeah broncos country let's ride my career into the ground (laughs) because that's what i thought was happening with russell wilson but now for some reason he's getting completely rejuvenated and he's playing phenomenal football it's just the brown the browns could have competed it's just kevin stefanski was the one that held them
2: back and this coming week, have a handful of interesting games, even though it's kind of a downslate this week, a little bit in the NFL. You got Thursday, we have Seahawks versus Cowboys. Could be an interesting game. Got yep. Saints-Lions, because, you know, if an NFC talent team's involved, that probably means it'll be a close game. Yep. You got uh, Broncos-Texans. That now looks a whole lot more interesting than that would have. About That's a, a way month, better game a month than, or so ago. Yeah. And then uh, Browns, Rams, Niners, Eagles—obviously one of the premier ones. Oh yeah. Then uh, Chiefs, Packers, and then Bengals play the Jags on uh, on Monday Night Football. Good luck to
3: the Bengals.
2: Good luck to the Bengals. I mean, Niners, Eagles—definitely the the biggest uh, marquee of those uh, of those games. But I am very interested to see what uh, how how Broncos Texans goes.
3: Yeah, I mean, C.J. Stroud is playing amazing football right now, uh, having one of the best rookie years a rookie could have especially playing under center. The record might not say that this Texans team is the best, but they have a very bright future, especially with CJ Stroud connecting to Tank Dell. Uh, that's going to be a great connection uh, for him. Uh, yeah, it's it's on the up and up for the Houston Texans, and they have been suffering for a very long time. I think the last time the Texans were good was when Deshaun Watson was just a rookie. Um and that's when they went to the playoffs. Yeah. Uh. So it's been a while since the Texans have actually had any good uh, juju come their way. And uh, so, yeah, that's great. And especially with the Broncos being the way that they are right now. Yeah. I, you take a look at that Sunday slate. I would say the Broncos and the Texans might be the more um, exciting matchup to watch, even though you got Eagles and 49ers. I kind of expect that to already be a good game. Um, but you never know. I mean, it could be a complete blowout. I mean, the Eagles, yeah, they're playing great football, but they're not playing to the best of their ability right now. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers could get, a, could, uh, give the Eagles their second loss of the season, especially just based on how Brock Purdy does such a good job facilitating the football across the, across the field, um, having targets like George Kittle. Um, so, and Debo Samuel and, all those guys. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers definitely upset the Eagles this coming Sunday.
2: That'll just about to do it for us here tonight. Again, big thanks to Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing. Join us on Friday for our coverage of high school basketball. On Classic Hits, we'll have our coverage of high school boys basketball, SBC River non conference matchup. Calvert taking on Ottawa Glandorf. Matt Brown and I have that one Friday. On Classic, Hits 96.7. On WFOB, we'll have coverage of the fall story, a girls' basketball team as they will be at home playing host to new conference rival Oak Harbor. Bart Wilson, Tom Grind will have that one Friday on WFOB. And again, Bart, thank you again for uh, for joining me tonight. It was, uh, was a good one.
3: Yeah. yeah, I had a great time. Thank you for having me on.
2: This is Lance Morris now signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Auto here from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys in the next one.